Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello, and welcome to Daily Daf Differently. This is Jeremy Kalmanowski, and today we're studying Tractate Ruvin, page uh, 70, or page Ayn. We're talking about the concept of Bitul Rashut. For those of you who have been following along, a refresher, or if you're just joining us in this section, let me sketch out the, the principle here. Everybody in the courtyard has to participate in this communal mingling of, of domains called the Eru. But what happens if somebody didn't? Somebody either refused to, or they forgot to, or something like that. And now it's Shabbat, and the Eruv is invalid because there's somebody who hasn't participated. Uh, you can rectify that mistake of failing to participate by what's called Bitul Rashut, renouncing your share. I no longer live here, you, you symbolically say, or I no longer am part of this courtyard. And there are some specific rules about uh, who can be Mivatel, who can, who can nullify uh, his or her uh, ownership, and under what circumstances? Somebody who uh, who failed to to make an eruv to begin can can yield for two people, but can't yield it to one person. There's a number of other number of other specificities. And at the bottom of the A side of today's page, we're going to ask a question that's admittedly impractical. I can't imagine that this that this ever happened. But like all legal cases, it's interesting because it sets a limit and it makes, helps us make a definition. I'm on the final line, if you happen to be looking at the page, I'm on the final line of Amud Aleph. Va'amine Rava mi Rav Nachman. Rava asked Rav Nachman, Yoresh Mahu Shayivatel Rishut. What about an heir? Okay, Shabbat began, a parent died, having failed to, uh, having failed to join the Eru. And in the wake of this loss on Shabbat, the first thing that the that the uh, mourning child thinks of is, "Am I eligible to nullify my nullify my reshut so I can join the Eruv?" I'm sure that's not the first thing that the person thought of, but it's a hypothetical case. Is it possible for the heir who did not own the let's call it the apartment, who did not own the apartment when Shabbat began, is it possible for that heir now to renounce it, or? Did the person have to be the owner of the, the reshut of the of the uh, stake here in this communal space um, when Shabbat began? And, and that's that's the question that we're going to try to define. Now, what's particularly interesting about this case, and this is a, a macro point about Talmud in general, not this case, which I, I cannot imagine is ever going to come up in any of our lives or any of our Jewish practices. But what's interesting about this as a macro point about Talmud has to do with the nature of the book, how it came to be, who put it together, and its incredibly fragmentary nature. You, in a modern context, can read something that you find confusing, you can read something that is poorly written, but it's very rare that you don't know what the, what the writer is uh, arguing for, because we have things in the conventions of contemporary uh, English writing, American English writing, we have topic sentences, and we have rhetorical devices by which authors say, my point here is X, or my point here is Y. This, I'm afraid, is just not true of the Talmud. The Talmud 
uh, is a very fragmentary book full of shorthand, just a quick statement followed by another quick statement. And what actually makes it, on the one hand, fun like a puzzle, uh, sometimes kind of maddening, is being able to identify exactly what's the question, what's the answer, what is the objection, who is the objection objecting to, and how is it, how is that thrust parried? Uh, there's a number of reasons why this is, uh, this is the state of our, of our book and why it can be so difficult and why, frankly, it takes years and years and years of regular study to get good at this. It's, it's really hard. Uh, you know, the, the Talmud in the early Middle Ages circulated in very, very short, pithy manuscripts. Uh, they're, they're long because they're voluminous. But they were very fragmentary, and they weren't packaged in rhetoric very much. And uh, sometimes the the people who transmitted the manuscripts will call, will give them the word garsanim, which means the, the people who managed the text would insert little phrases to help you figure out what was the question, what was the answer, or what the challenge was, what challenge was being made, or what challenge was being responded to. I, I say all of that because what we have on our page now, as we try to answer this question about whether or not the air can nullify their their reshoot, their participation in the in the communal state, is a, a text which in our page on the Talmud looks kind of clear because somebody has inserted an interpretation that makes Rashi's interpretation correct, makes Rashi's interpretation seem correct. But other medieval authority took the exact opposite approach to Rashi. They obviously their text must have been a little bit different because because it was the uh, the passage that's inserted that seals the deal for Rashi, but it wasn't part of the original text. Uh, so what Rashi thinks is a question against uh, uh, against one party and a resolution in favor of the other party. The other medieval authorities, Rashi's own contemporaries, in fact, a little bit earlier, thought it was the very, very opposite. The question was against the other party, and the answer was in favor of the uh, the the first the first voice. So now let me talk you through what those two positions are. The, uh, the position of Rav Nachman, the person who was asked the question, is that the heir is now free to renounce participation in the communal state. But Rav Nachman also reports that his own master, Shmuel, held the position that the heir could not uh, renounce. And we bring, the Talmud brings a Baraita, a Mishnaic era teaching, which is seen to answer the question, uh, at least is seen to point in the direction. And the Brighta, this Brighta makes the point that anything that is permitted um, when Shabbat begins, any any area of carrying which is permitted when Shabbat begins, even if the conditions change in the course of Shabbat, imagine a, an Eruv and then it's blown down or the, the, the wall collapse or something like that, if it was permitted when Shabbat began, it remains permitted even after it fell down. And if it was forbidden when Shabbat began, even if conditions were to change, it would remain forbidden throughout Shabbat, chutz mi mevatel reshut, except for somebody who nullifies the uh, their participation. That is to say, okay, you didn't make the Eruv. Somebody comes to you after Shabbat and says, "Dummy, you, you missed the Eruv." You say, "Oh, I'm very sorry. I hereby renounce my I hereby renounce my stake." That means it was forbidden when Shabbat began, but now it changes and now it's permitted. So who does that help? Rav Nachman, who says the heir can renounce participation, or Shmuel, who says the heir can. Well, Rashi says 
Rashi understands that the initial attack was against Rav Nachman, that only the original owner could renounce, but not his heir. And then the answer comes along, no, no, the, the answer is just is just four words, Ema chutz mitorat bitul reshut. No, it's, it's not that the person must uh, renounce uh, ownership, him or herself. It is the principle of renouncing ownership. And Rashi takes that to mean, though it looks at, at first glance like only the original owner could could renounce it, in fact, we know that, that the heir can also. Now comes along another contemporary Rashi, a little bit older, in fact, Rabbeinu Hananel, who lived in Cairo, Tunisia, Rashi was in France and, and was the main explainer of the Talmud for European students. Rabbeinu Hananel uh, fills a similar function for North Africans. And he comes along and says, thinks that the Talmud means the exact opposite. He thinks that it means that initially it looks like anybody, the, the, the owner, the heir, the original owner, the heir, they can, they can either one nullify after Shabbat begins, and then the answer, no, it, it is only one who fully fits the category of having authority over the uh, over the, the domain, who can renounce, and therefore, the original owner, yes, and the, uh, the, the heir, no. That's Talmud for you, folks. It's, it's one of the things that makes it fun, but one of the things that makes it difficult is that you can look at an exact identical text or, or, or very, very similar text, the original text, even if uh, the words have changed a little bit over time, and come to precisely opposite conclusions. There's, to take it a little bit broader, there's reasons why each of them has their position. The honest truth is that Rabbeinu Hananel fits the words better, as Tosafot say. Tosafot say to Rashi, well, what kind of, what kind of conclusion is that? Ihu in Yoresh Lo, the original owner, yes, but the, the heir, no. There's no reason to think that the word Bitul Rashut suggests that. So Rabbeinu Hananel probably does fit the words better. However, Rashi has a point on his behalf, too, that all the rest of the questions do appear to attack Rav Nachman. So in this case, for, for Rashi's perspective, uh, it does fit literarily with the whole page. Thanks for joining today's page with me. We'll continue the same theme of Beatful to Shoot tomorrow. Wish you a good day. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.